Welcome back to the Salary to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Jake Richards, and you're listening to the show that takes you from nine to five to small business ownership. Four years ago, I ditched my banking job. I left my home in Sydney, Australia, and moved 26 hours around the world to France. I was 24 at the time and felt like I was wasting away my youth in an uninspiring corporate geek. Maybe it was the morning team huddles on level 15 that pushed me over the edge, or more likely, the inevitable and very sarcastic response of quote unquote, living the dream that I would repeatedly get when I asked my older teammates how the day was going. Whatever it was, I was desperate for more adventure in my life. I wanted to travel the world, so I quit my job and I left for France with not too much other than the mindset that I just figured out. The original idea was one year, but COVID had other plans. Australia had some of the strictest border policies in the entire world, so strict that its own citizens couldn't return home. I was stranded. Honestly, I was cool with it though. More travel, more adventure, more time living in a completely different culture. But there was just one problem. If the show was going to roll on, I would need to make more money. My banking day savings were starting to dwindle. So over the next three years, I built a content agency. I worked side by side with multiple top 10 podcaster clients across different niches like sports, business, and entertainment. We produced content that collectively generated hundreds of millions of views and downloads. We featured people like Ice Cube, Tom Brady, Dana White, Kelly Clarkson, Lance Armstrong, Ryan Garcia, Gary Vee, Johnny Ma from The Smiths, and so many more. To tell you the truth, I didn't become a massive multimillionaire success running this business, but I did continue to travel the world and hone my business skills, working from Parisian cafes, villas in Ibiza, and beaches in the Greek islands. And it was all possible because I was able to take advantage of a very specific opportunity. And that same opportunity is available to any business owner to grow their operation, cut costs, and drive more results. So whether you're a retail store owner, a manufacturer, a software company, a plumbing business, or any other business owner you can imagine. This is an opportunity for you. I'm talking about using offshore talent. For me, as a content agency owner, I hired VAs, copywriters, video editors, audio engineers, SEO specialists, and graphic designers from all over the world. There were roughly seven or so people in my team at any given time, but I went through hundreds of applicants and I trained dozens of remote teammates throughout this period. And today I'm gonna break down the step-by-step of how I built my remote team so you can unlock this opportunity in your business. Now, I'm not saying any of this is the absolute gold standard and you must follow this advice to succeed. Truthfully, it's just what I personally found helpful. I managed to figure out actually doing it myself. I'm sure there are people with even more sophisticated systems and ways of approaching remote talent. In fact, I interviewed one of them, Malcolm Peace, who will be featuring in an upcoming episode on this pod. I promise you, you will not want to miss that one. But nonetheless, let's dive into the five-step framework I built to hire my remote team so you can do the same. All right, here's the truth, guys. The first time I tried to build a remote team, I failed miserably. At the time, I was freelancing and executing all the work myself. I had a handful of international clients, and I was determined to turn this freelancing operation into a legitimate business. But if I wanted to scale, I needed outside help. I could not do it all on my own. I thought it was going to be as easy as hiring skilled professionals, giving them a brief, and letting them run with the execution. Meanwhile, I could focus all my efforts on managing our current client communications and prospecting like a madman to bring on new clients. Autopilot, right? I was so wrong. There was nothing easy about bringing people on board. In fact, it was infinitely more complicated. I drove myself insane as I ended up spending more time checking and fixing other people's work than actually doing it myself. The result? I had less time, and thanks to paying other people, less money than when I was operating solo. But problem after problem, I researched and I upskilled myself to eventually grind my way towards a system that worked, at least for me. So the following is the five critical steps I landed on after years of trial and error. You can use this to save yourself a lot of time, pain, and money, 
and start reaping the benefits of building a remote team. So the five critical steps are one, where to look, two, how to hire, three, systemizing processes, four, expectation, clarity, and incentives, and five, communication bottlenecks. Let's dive into each one. Hey guys, real quick, shout out to Ollie, who's a regular listener on this show. So the other day, Ollie sent me a message saying, hey, I love these episodes. There's so much great information in there, but I wish I just had a summary of the episode itself so that I could actually listen and not have to take notes. So for this episode, I've created a summary with the five-step framework for building your remote team. So you can just listen to this all the way through and have the summary notes already done for you at the end. This should save you a little bit of time and make sure you can enjoy the show. So if you want to check that out, all you have to do is go to salarytoceo.co. So that's .co, not .com. So salarytoceo.co slash EP10, EP10. That's E for elephant, P for Peter, 10. salarytoceo.co slash EP10. Step one, where to look. If you've got tens of thousands to invest, you can bypass the treasure hunt of finding quality remote talent and go straight to pre-screened and trained candidates. I personally didn't have this luxury, so the following details the scrappy approach that I used. I've heard people like Sean Puri from My First Million talk about finding ready-made candidates using a company he invested in called Shepherd. They looked pretty decent from the bit of research I did, although I must admit I haven't dug deep into their offering. Although I did realize that they replaced the monthly recurring fees that is common for other headhunting agencies to charge with a one-time finding fee. So that can end up saving you quite a bit of cash over the long term. But if you don't want to spend any dollars at all, here's what you need to know. This is what I did myself. The two big platforms for finding freelancers and remote talent are Upwork and Fiverr. If I was just getting started, this would be my go-to. I'd go straight into these two platforms. In my personal experience, Upwork has always had way higher quality talent. I've just found it to be a cleaner experience as well just to actually use it. And the people on there just seem to be so much better. I hired my audio engineer Milan on Upwork and the guy is seriously a killer at what he does. He's like a Rolls Royce and the people I found on Fiverr were a bit more like my first car, a beat up 1995 Nissan Pulsar. The beauty about these platforms are that they have reviews so you can quickly get a gauge on sort of applicant quality, but be warned. I've worked with some highly rated freelancers on these platforms that were legitimate trash. Like I seriously to this day have no idea how they got such high ratings, which is why I always recommend to run a sample task before hiring, but we'll cover more of this a little bit later. Also, if you're working in a creative field like I was, you've got another platform called Behance, B-E-H-A-N-C-E. This is an online platform where creative professionals present their portfolio and projects. It allows you to reach out directly on the platform or via linked email addresses and Instagram accounts and things like this if you find someone you like. I found a great graphic designer, Saddam, on here that I used for all my client YouTube thumbnail designs. There is quite a bit of scrapping about here, but you can find solid candidates in creative fields and at least their work is highly visible. You kind of get to try before you buy, so to speak. Lastly, you've got onlinejobs.ph. Now this is a site for remote workers specifically in the Philippines. This site is by far the least user-friendly and the most time-consuming to sift through applicants thanks to its terrible filters and search features. And not to mention no reviews either. That said, you can find some gems. I found a guy called Angelo on here. He was a seriously talented video editor. He was responsible for a very, very specific type of edit for one of my top clients and that I couldn't find anyone else on Upwork with the skill set to do it. And I went through tens of people trying to find 
find this kind of guy with this skill set. And I managed to find Angelo on onlinejobs.ph. On this site, there is a monthly subscription. It's around $50 to $100 from memory each month to be able to access the candidate's contact details. But literally, you can cancel at any time. One tip, you really need to be on the lookout for people with examples of their work, which is not always the case. I'd say probably 50% have this link to their profile. And those that don't, it's just I don't even bother. There's already too much work trying to find people. I just ignore anyone that's not able to present examples of their work. There's a lot of clicking and digging to find good people, but you can find them. And generally, they're extremely well-priced when you do. All right, guys, so we're moving on to step two now, which is how to hire. So on these platforms, there's two main approaches to hiring. Number one, you write a job description open to applications. Or number two, you reach out directly to talent based on their portfolio and the ratings from previous work if the platform contains that kind of information. Now, something I noticed, I often found really good people by reaching out directly. It was a bit more time consuming up front, but I found a lot of the good guys were often already busy with work because of their quality and their reviews and things like this. And so they weren't as likely to be actively applying for job listings. That said, I have to balance this with the fact that I hired some great teammates via the job application route. It's obviously way more scalable for getting in contact with more applicants. So I found a mix of both to be ideal. So for a given job, I'll generally start by creating a job application if the platform permits it. And then I'll go out and invite people directly to that job application. That's generally like the best process that I found for me. When it comes to making job posts, here's what helped me. So there's a guy on Twitter that puts out great content on remote hiring. His name's Neil Perek. So his handle is at N-E-E-L B for Bravo, P for Peter, A-R-E-K-H. And he's built a $2 million per year fully remote home service cleaning business. So he's super qualified to give advice on this topic. Now, he wrote one thread in particular that I'll link in the show notes with a six-step framework for writing a killer job ad to recruit labor. Here's the top three steps that I found helpful from this framework. Number one, create a compelling headline. Neil gives this example, right, of a normal ad and it says, clean and needed, start immediately. Nothing special there. You're not sending out, you're not encouraging anyone to come and apply for that. You're not creating any sort of out of the ordinary motivation or spark versus his not boring ad, which is not another crappy $10 an hour job, rockstar cleaners needed. You can obviously see the difference between those two. So you're really distinguishing yourself and separating yourself from the competition. The other thing that he said was make it about your applicant. And to do that, he proposes that you replace the we's with the you's. So the example that he gave is instead of saying we value reliability, replace that with this is for you if you are a reliable person. So the goal here is to have the reader nodding their head saying, yes, that's me. They're kind of confirming they're seeing themselves in the job application itself. And it really answers that key question that we all face in any decision, right? Like what's in it for me? The last one, and this is a really good one just around the structure, is the why, how, what format. So number one, why, why apply? How, how to do the job? And what, what does the job entail? And within each of those sections, they should be about three to five bullet points. One little tip, you could create a really simple prompt in ChatGPT or something like this to apply this framework and save you a lot of time. Beyond Neil's six-step framework, here were some additional strategies I implemented to weed out the dud applicants and find the A-class players. So pre-screening, right? This is before we even have any conversations with the applicants. So one thing I did was I buried a code word in the post that they had to reply with in their application. So I put it right down towards the bottom. I'd say something like, mention code word pineapples in your job application so I know that you have attention to detail. Anyone who fails to respond with the code word is cut immediately and it's just a massive time saver. Number two, I included files and a sample task to complete as part of the application. So most people won't bother 
actually doing the application, right? And that's perfect because they aren't the right fit. They're not the kind of A-grade players that you're looking to bring on board. Only the people who really want this work will complete it. The people that are going to go the extra mile. I have also heard other people talk about requesting a short video application. Personally, I didn't use this that much, but I can see the value in it. And if you wanted to try it out, you could always test it. So this pre-screening phase will get rid of about 80 to 90% of the applicants from my experience. Then it's just about reviewing the serious candidates and selecting the people who'd produce the best samples. And then once you've done that, you have a final conversation to assess if they're a good fit for the team, if they're available, what their working style is, these kind of things. Now beware, one mistake I made was assuming that the most expensive candidate translates to the best quality. And this just wasn't always the case. So there's actually a marketing and economics concept called the price quality relationship. And it's based on the common consumer assumption that higher priced items are of better quality than lower priced ones. Price influences what we call perceived quality. And that's what I fell victim to. The trouble is actual quality is not always consistent with perceived quality and in this case being influenced by price. So I found out the hard way, laying out way too much money on a graphic designer early on, that talked a big game, but turned out to be a massive letdown. So don't fall for this mistake and always test with a sample. If it's not in your job application, at least make it the next stage of your hiring process. Step three, systemizing processes. Okay, this is the good stuff. This was actually the main reason why I failed initially. So remember when I spoke about driving myself insane, spending more time fixing other people's mistakes than doing it myself? That's because I had no systems and processes at all, let alone good ones. But this didn't last forever. I eventually figured it out. Now, shout out to an agency community called The Utopia. It's run by a guy on Twitter who goes by the handle at Wiz of Ecom. So at W-I-Z-O-F-E-C-O-M. They broke down how to create effective processes the best and simplest way I had seen. So essentially, you start with a chart, right? Which is basically just like a process chart with different steps. And there's three layers. So the top layer is your system layer. These are the sequential steps to achieve the goal. Underneath each system step is tasks. These are the individual actions required for each step. And then on the bottom layer are SOPs or standard operating procedures. These are the checklists, guides, and instructions for how to complete the most complex tasks. So obviously, if it's super basic, the task, there's no need to create a standard operating procedure explaining how to do every part of it. But for the more complex thing, this can be really useful. So an example of how this system would play out. So let's just say for one of my video editors, they're creating a piece of video content. And one step in the system layer might be edit final cut of video content. So that's the high level system step. Beneath that, there'll be the tasks, right? So these will just be some bullet points. It will be create smooth cuts between clips, layer in music, sound effects, and visual transitions, perform color grade, and create animated captions. Then beneath that, in the SOP layer, for those complex steps, so let's pick something like color grading, for example, that might be a complex task that needs an SOP for my video editor to go in and repeat consistently at a high standard and quality. So what I would do is I would create an SOP in a Notion database. You could just use a Google Drive if you wanted with clear labels on the folders, but I would create it in Notion and then I would link that to the system process workflow that I've just described with the three layers. So it might be, you know, color grading SOP and that would link through and they'll be able to access that either in Google Drive or in Notion. And that's kind of how that all flows together. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I've created notes detailing how this all works. So there's some diagrams in there. All you have to do to access this is to go to salarytoceo.co slash 10, the number 10. There you'll be able to access the summary notes of this entire process. In terms of technology, I created this visually in an online tool called Lucidchart. 
but you could just as easily use something like Canva or whatever you prefer. And then I housed it, as I said, in Notion. I personally like Notion a lot, but if you prefer Google Drive, like I said, go for your life. For SOPs, where possible, I prefer the simplicity of a checklist, but also use step-by-step -step instructions with screenshots or even screen recordings using Loom where you think it's necessary. Another tip that I found was getting VAs to create SOPs using something called the Camcord method. Now, I picked this up from a guy called Dan Martell. If you've read that book, Buy Back Your Time, it's blown up recently. He's the author of that book. And I heard him on a podcast. So instead of the slow way to write SOPs, right, which is doing it all yourself with lots of steps, countless screenshots, capturing every painstaking detail, what he proposes is to actually use something called the camcord method, which is you're working normally going about your day, but you've hit record on a screen recording tool like Loom, and then you're just talking out loud as if you're explaining it to someone next to you as you're going about your normal work. So you end up with, you know, potentially 20, 30 minutes, one hour, two hours worth of explanation, right, of the tasks and actions you're doing. And then you just give all of those screen recordings to a VA and you instruct them to turn it into SOPs. That's just one really creative way to save yourself time, but still capture everything that needs to go in there and give it to another teammate in order to put it all together. Hey guys, real quick, shout out to Ollie, who's a regular listener on this show. So the other day, Ollie sent me a message saying, hey, I love these episodes. There's so much great information in there, but I wish I just had a summary of the episode itself so that I could actually listen and not have to take notes. So for this episode, I've created a summary with the five-step framework for building your remote team. So you can just listen to this all the way through and have the summary notes already done for you at the end. This should save you a little bit of time and make sure you can enjoy the show. So if you want to check that out, all you have to do is go to salarytoceo.co. So that's .co, not .com. So salarytoceo.co slash EP10, EP10. That's E for elephant, P for Peter, 10. salarytoceo.co slash EP10. Now, number four, communication bottlenecks. This really isn't that much of a step. It's more actually something that I never quite mastered. So amongst many other reasons, I never quite scaled the business to its potential as I was always the guy in the middle getting feedback from clients, passing on to teammates, then sharing their work, going around and around between all the key stakeholders, spending a lot of time just being the messenger. So when you're building a remote team for a client facing service like I was, you're balancing this tension, right, of connecting freelancers with clients and having the risk that they either A, misrepresent the brand to give a poor customer experience, or B, even worse, steal the client altogether and bypass you. Now, as they're not employees of your company, the loyalty ties aren't as strong and there are more risks associated with this model. In reflection, if I was to have my time again, I would consider creating a system that clients and teammates can post work and comments and go back and forth without me being involved in every step. I would have to accept the two risks I mentioned and manage these accordingly. I don't have the perfect answer for this, but this is just something for you to consider if you are in one of these client-facing service type businesses. It's just a pothole that I ran into. Now, step five, the final step is aligning clear, transparent incentives. So rather than me always being on my team's back, I drew up a bonus structure, right? That had a quality and speed component. So speed was around a minimum turnaround time, whether that was 24, 48 hours, these kind of timeframes. And quality was a checklist criteria that aligned to meeting certain requirements as outlined in the SOPs I created. So if they met these criteria, they unlocked financial bonuses for each piece of work. 
so an interesting point here, I came across this idea called fair process, and it was in this book called Blue Ocean Strategy. And basically fair process was an outcome of some research performed where they established that people care as much about the justice of the process through which an outcome is produced as they do about the outcome itself. So within fair process is something called expectation clarity, which requires that after a strategy is set, managers or business owners state clearly the new rules of the game. And the logic is that although the expectations may be demanding, like for in my case, some of those turnaround times were within 24 hours, right? Pretty demanding. But employers should know upfront what the standards are that they will be judged on and the penalties for failure. And in my case, the rewards available for success. So having this clear bonus structure up front, it sparked internal motivation to gain more by producing better and faster, rather than me constantly being on their back and quote unquote, checking up on where they're at. This one here, it only took me like 15 minutes to create, but it delivered infinite value for the entire operating life of the business. So guys, that's the five steps I used to build my remote team. As I mentioned, I took the scrappy cost-effective route and after plenty of trial and error, I found a system that worked for me. Hopefully the tools and strategies that I detail today will save you the time and frustration I had to go through to figure this stuff out. To recap, the five steps are where to find remote talent. So if you're just starting out, your simplest bet for quality is Upwork in my opinion. For creatives, you can check out Behance and if you're feeling adventurous, you can find some gems on onlinejobs.ph. For how to hire these teammates, I found it useful to use a mix of direct outreach and creating job posts. You can check out Neil Perek's six-step framework outlined in the show notes as well as using code words in the job description, a sample task and instructions to complete, potentially even a video submission. Use these to weed out the dud candidates quickly. If they're lazy or delivering poor quality in the application phase, they've got no chance on the job. Next, document your process using the Wizard of E-commerce's system tasks SOPs framework, using a tool like Lucidchart or Canva, and then store everything in a Google Drive or a Notion workspace. Next, be aware of the communication bottlenecks that I ran into if you're running a client-facing service business. You might want to consider the model for how your clients and teammates interact, or if you want to employ someone potentially that manages the communications between them, that can also work. Lastly, align clear, transparent incentives. I just found this so much better than having to be on top of these people because you're not sitting next to them, right, in an office. It's long-distance communication. And I found dangling the carrot and having some sort of incentive that they were self-motivated by to achieve aligned everyone's interests and just made it flow a lot smoother, quicker, and of a higher quality. The key here is it needs to be super clear. So there needs to be clear criteria for them to be able to meet to ensure that fair process, that expectation clarity, and ultimately that buy-in from the people that you bring on board. So that's the five steps in total of how I built my remote team. As I mentioned, we've got a really good interview coming up with Malcolm Peace that touches on a lot of these subjects in the next month or so. So stay tuned for that one. There are a million ways you could go about building this team. What I outlined today is what worked for me after a lot of trial and error. So I'm hoping it can save you a lot of time, frustration, and money in order to build a remote team yourself because there's massive opportunity to unlock here. If it did, all I'd ask is that you share this episode with one friend. If you got a bit of value, if there was a new perspective, if there was a tool that you're going to use and you think it could help someone else, pull out your phone, open up Spotify or Apple Podcasts and share it with one friend. It's literally that simple. It's less than 10 seconds. And what it will help is to grow this show. And the more that we grow the show, the better guests that I can get on, the better business owners you and I can become. As always, thank you so much. I'm so appreciative for all the people that have been sharing the show and listening and getting value out of this. 
a little inside story. I set a goal for a certain number of subscribers that I wanted to achieve in the first quarter ending March 24th, and I've already doubled it thanks to you guys. So thank you so much. I will catch you next Tuesday for another awesome episode. And until then, keep getting after it, my friends. Let's go. Oh, 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 oh,